Welcome to Connected with Micah, where we bring together hope and information to help support your life. Join us on this journey in connecting the dots and finding answers to your most challenging health issues. So let's connect where no topic is off limits. Common interests prevail, but opinions don't always align. This is Connected with Micah. Welcome back to another episode of Connected with Micah. It is so good to have you join us today, and you are going to love the guest we have because it is information that everyone needs to know about when you're looking at the care and long-term provisions and planning if you have a loved one with special needs or if you have resources that you're wanting to bequeath or send to a friend, a family, a loved one that you're looking at from an income standpoint, that you have someone that is receiving social security or has other court orders that maybe that gift could cause interference with the supports they receive. And not only are we going to talk about that, but the guest we have today is attorney Haley Greer, and she is the director of the Master Pool Trust for the Arc of Texas. And so today we're going to discuss what some of the basic functions and resources that the Arc of Texas provides and dig a little deeper to learn about trusts and why you need to know about these. So right now I want to welcome Haley. Thank you for taking the time to visit with us today and share with our audience some not only informative and exciting news, but essential, essential information that we all need. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I, I love being able to teach families and give them the information so that they know how to plan for the future because future planning is scary. So I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Fantastic. Now tell me a little bit about the ARC because when I was looking at some of the information and their website, I found that they are having a birthday this year and that y'all are celebrating 70 years of serving families in Texas. So tell me a little bit about who started the ARC and, and what all you do. Well, yeah, so we are excited. So it'll be 70 years this year. Um, the ARC actually started by some parents with children with disabilities came together and said that their families weren't getting any supports or services at that time. In the 1950s, most individuals with disabilities were sent away. They were sent to institutions. They were not a part of the community. And so families said, hey, we want to change that. And so in 1950, some families got together and said, hey, we're going to do something to actually make our loved ones be a part of the community and a part of society. And so since then, the ARC and the ARC of Texas have been just instrumental in every piece of legislation, every piece of anything that's really brought the needs and the abilities of people with disabilities to the forefront. We in Texas here, the ARC of Texas, uh, we do a lot of advocacy at the state level. So we do a lot of legislative advocacy and we do uh, advocacy with agencies and things along those lines to be able to make sure that any sort of policies or things, regulations, all of those fun stuff that are put in place are good for people with disabilities. Um, unintended consequences are huge, so we try to, to be at the forefront of that and make sure that doesn't happen. We also have chapters that are all across the state. Our local chapters provide um, different services. Every chapter does something different. 
every chapter looks a little bit different. So depending on your area, uh, you can look for the, the chapter that's closest to you to be able to see what supports or services they may provide. Some of our organizations are volunteer only and they provide a lot of social things for families and individuals with disabilities. Others are more advocacy related. So they are um, teaching families information about the things that they need to know and talking about how they can come advocate. And others are actually providing services. So we have some of our chapters that provide case management services, others that provide other sort of direct service as well. So it just kind of runs the gamut on our chapters. And, you know, we like to have people get connected with their local community because those are the folks that are going to have the best answers and the best stuff about what's going on in your local community. That's exciting. And to see the um, vision that the founding parents had, you know, I, I look at this and think they probably had no idea at the foundation and the significance of the foundation of what they were creating Uh, to set the stage for decades later in the provisions that these individuals would need and the supports the families would need. Because we know that in our situation, I have an adult son with autism, that no one would have projected the onslaught of the number of individuals now diagnosed with autism. And so while um, we think traditionally of different disabilities, where it's physical disabilities or MR or injuries that maybe occurred at birth, those things, you know, the founders of the ARC had no idea that we were going to continue to see um, different populations arise. And so how exciting that they planted those seeds back at that time to be able to really create an infrastructure that could support so many families. Because this is overwhelming um, for individuals when you're trying to make the best decisions and you're living it. It's very overwhelming to know, do you have all the pieces of the puzzle in place for our audience? One of the reasons that I've had the pleasure of getting to visit with Haley is because even for me, being involved in community and legislative issues and health and human services and different aspects that I found myself this past month in a moment of revelation where I realized I didn't have all the pieces in place for Jacob. And I didn't know all the information I thought I did. And so what's interesting is depending on when your child was diagnosed or when your child was injured or you became aware of needing to look at truly planning from a fiscal standpoint for their future, it's changed. It's evolved. I know that uh, my son's father and I are great friends, but we've been divorced for many moons. And when we ended up getting divorced, we had child support put in place for long term. And you don't think about when you're having that put in place and he's five and then fast forward 19 years later that the circumstances change on what those things look like at 18 or 21 or 24 and how he as a human is categorized differently. So it's been exciting to be able to learn a lot of information. And so one of the things that we're going to talk about in this first episode Today is we're going to get to have Haley share with us about trusts and more so what the ARC offers to support families with a trust and why a trust is something that 
I would say now from what I've learned that every individual with a disability or special need needs to have in place. And so looking at this, going through the information, you know, one of the things that looking at with the different trusts for me personally is to kick this off, I thought that having a trust, a third-party trust, I didn't realize how many categories of trust there were, that we were golden. So I'm excited because learning that there's more to this and learning that there's options and the services you offer has provided information and a relief and some direction. So tell us a little bit about your position as the director of the Masterful Trust and tell me what that is and, and why it's there and why families need trusts. Absolutely. Well, and I'm, it's been such a pleasure um, talking with you. I think we've discovered a whole lot of fun things and I can't wait to share it with the listeners. You know, so I've been with the Ark of Texas for a little over eight years um, as the director of the Master Pooled Trust. Been around the Ark my entire life. My grandmother got involved in the 70s and sort of brought us all along with her. She was teaching some individuals with Down syndrome how to swim and just got involved from there. And literally my entire family is now involved with the art. I don't have um, uh, any close blood relatives that have a disability, but lots of found family and um, lots of folks. So it's been exciting to be able to come to the art and be able to do this work and help families who I know desperately need it. Um, they, they want answers. And so we're, I'm excited to be able to share this with folks talking about special needs trust. The Master Pooled Trust is a pooled special needs trust, which is a, um, a trust that's available to families where we pool all of the money together for investment purposes. And we have our master trust documents. So everybody has a document that looks the same. Everybody's trust is exactly the same. And then you have a joinder agreement that allows you to join into the master pooled trust. And our goal with the master pooled trust is to be able to serve people who otherwise can't find trustees uh, or who just love our services. Um, and we've got people sort of on both sides of those things. I think that we provide fantastic service, but I'm a little biased. So I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so our goal is to be here for families when there isn't anybody else to be there is really what we're here for. So we want to be able to serve in a role to be able to protect those so important benefits. So Social Security and Medicaid specifically, we want to make sure that we are doing all the things that are right to protect those things. What a lot of folks don't recognize or realize as time sort of goes on is that there are a lot of ways to mess up benefits and you don't even realize you're messing up benefits. And so that's why um, we want to be here, A, as a resource. Uh, number one, that is what my goal is, is to be here as a resource to folks, either to understand and why you need a special needs trust, what a special needs trust is, or to be um, here as, uh, as the masterful trust and to serve family. And so we're here to make sure that we're getting your questions answered. We also look at systematic change and like what's going on in people's lives and what are, what's the information that nobody has that maybe the system needs to change or we just need to get that information out, which I'm so excited today to do this so that I can get this information out to, um, to new folks because it's so, so important. Well, and I think when you talk about getting it out to new families, it's that there are a lot of conferences, there's a lot of opportunities where even people like yourself, where you go and you do a presentation and they talk about a trust, but a lot of times it's very linear or singular. So you hear, I need a trust for my child, 
or my grandchild or whatever, but it's carved out. So it's not really put in the context of the many variables of the age and the point of life that the child is in at that moment. When is it, what trigger events cause the need where maybe the classification of the funds the child's receiving change? Like in one of the examples, child support, court order, going from being viewed as child support to then when Social Security now deems that child an adult, that it's now looked at unearned income. So I think that families, we have a lot of great opportunities and organizations that will have speakers like yourself or other, even financial planners and such that do great presentations. But what I have realized in my journey the last month is that it's one small piece that almost needs to be applied to a timeline, almost needs to be shown on the timeline and the different attributes that are very much about the context of the moment of where you're at. And so that's why I'm excited to share this because I look at this and think a lot of families with younger children, it's not as much of a priority. They hear about it. They may have a little more concern if the family goes through a divorce and and in those circumstances, but, and they may think a little bit about, well, if, you know, there's a life insurance policy from a parent or proceeds from a grandparent. But at that time, most of them have just applied for benefits. So they may not have really received them yet. Or when we get to the point of receiving the benefits, the families, either if they've done a trust of some kind, that all the the pieces aren't happening at the same time. The dominoes are falling at different points. And so I think that even for myself, that's what I found is that I was thinking that I had all my pieces of the puzzle in place by having the third party trust so that if I passed or uh, Jake's dad passed or any of the family members that were going to uh, leave him something that that third party trust would be in place and realizing that's not the case at all. And we get caught up and busy in life and maybe our children go through the succinct different cycles of growth and puberty and struggles that we don't realize that checklist. We have to go back to it. So tell me when you're talking about it pulls the resources. What does that mean? What is the benefit of those resources in a trust being pulled together So looking at the trust, what benefit or value is provided and is there a monetary benefit to having all these funds pulled together? Yeah, so there's a couple of reasons that things are pulled. A, with it being pulled, we're able to invest a larger amount of money that so hopefully folks can see a better return. Sometimes there are some folks who aren't going to have a ton of money that they're putting in, but when they can uh, put it together with the rest of our, you know, we have anywhere from, well, right now we've got about $90 million in the trust. And so um, that's we're all able to just a little bit, <laughs> 90 million, uh, we have $90 million in the trust. So even if you have 20 or $30,000, you're able to invest that with the rest of it and sometimes see a better return. Your fees are going to be less too when you're investing with us, just because overall we're able to invest all of it together. And so people are only seeing a small fee from us on a monthly basis. And still be able to reap those benefits. 
And so with $90 million, you're able to get a, you you can do things a little bit differently than you would if you only had 20 or $30,000. And so um, not that we have folks who have a few thousand dollars up to several million dollars that are in the trust. And so um, we found though that everybody benefits from that. And so that's the exciting piece of it. And, you know, being able to pool all of that allows us to keep our fees low so that families can still benefit from having a knowledgeable trustee or, or manager as we are uh, to be able to help make sure that those benefits are protected and still get to see reap some benefits of the market as well. Well, and that's it's really important to know because I think a lot of families they think of getting the trust set up and it being a one and done scenario and that that is there for monies to go in. But I don't think a lot of families realize that part of the assumed fiduciary responsibility and tell me if I'm conceptually saying this correct, is that they are supposed to be good stewards of those resources that enter the trust, which includes looking at growing those resources or trying to not deplete the principal or the assets going in. Is that correct? That, that is correct. Um, and the place that I like to start, because I think one of the things that everybody hears is like, I need a trust, I need a trust. People don't actually understand what a trust is. You know, exactly. I, I, I am an attorney. I went to law school, I took a trust and estates class, and I left really still not knowing (laughs) much about a trust or estate. I will say I've learned a whole lot in the last 10 years of practice, but in this role, what I've learned is you really have to start at the basics. And so as we sit here and everybody says, oh, you need a trust, you need a trust. Well, if you don't even understand really what a trust is, then it's not really going to do you a whole lot of good. So everybody's like, oh, I know I need to do that, but I don't know what it is. I don't know where to start. I don't know what I need to do. And so I think starting there is actually a good place for people to understand why it's important for them to have one, what they need to put in it, where is it this needs to be held? Because as a trustee of a trust, you have a lot of, you have that fiduciary, you have a duty to protect benefits when it's a special needs trust. And so understanding what that role even is, is also important. And so, you know, I, what I tell people, and this is something that, that I try to simplify it, but it's also just exactly what it is. A trust is really just a piece of paper. It's a piece of paper that has some rules. And those rules are going to tell you what has to happen to that money. So it's a relationship between the beneficiary, so your loved one with a disability, and a trustee. So a trustee is going to be the person that decides what happens to the money. They're going to be that person that has that fiduciary duty to say, we should be investing this money so this money can grow and not just let it sit here and gain the 0.05% interest that the bank might give you. And so it's important that um, everybody understand that a trust has your beneficiary. So you've got a beneficiary, but you also have the trustee and that that person has to make those decisions. And so that's important to know that, that every single trust is going to have those things. And you have to think about as you're planning for the future, who do you want that trustee to be? If you're around, you could be the trustee as a parent or as a grandparent. If you are alive, if you've passed away, you need somebody else to fill in those shoes. And so the Ark of Texas can serve in that role when you're unable to do it anymore or if you don't feel comfortable in in doing that. You know, there's a lot of, of things that I, I tell people all the time. I don't do our investment side of things. 
I am an attorney. I went to law school because I didn't do math. Well, I'm doing a lot of math, but I'm not an investment advisor. I'm not a person who is is in that. And so we have JP Morgan as our investment advisor. They're able to um, oversee those investments. So I don't have to be an expert in that. I've got a team of folks who are able to be experts in their pieces of things. Well, as an individual trustee, you either need your own team or you have to be the person that is well versed in all of that. And I think that's just important to understand that you want to make sure you've got somebody who has that expertise available. Well, and I think that having those resources, because you're right, because what is that master, what is that saying? Jack of all and master of none, the phrase of saying that you know a lot of things. But so, yes, you're correct, because as a parent or a guardian of someone with a disability, uh, whether it be intellectual or physical or whatever the, the means may be, that at some point it gets very overwhelming, even when you are mindful and educated and assertive in the way that you handle many of the the circumstances that we have to, whether it's long-term care, medical, health, educational, housing, you know, all of those aspects. So I think that that's phenomenal that that's part of the services that the ARC offers. I will tell you that not only do we hear well, you need a trust, but then, you know, not knowing there are different types of trusts. There's multiple types. And so What is the right trust? And I've realized this too. So many years ago when I went to an attorney who, neat lady, neat, neat lady, and elder law. And so at that time, Jake was younger. And I realized now she gave me exactly what I asked for because my concern was at that time that if I passed, because he was receiving class and Medicaid, some services already, but if I passed, my life insurance policies that I needed those to bypass so it wouldn't push him out of services to go to a trust. So she set up a trust and it was exactly what I asked for. And so in my mind though, I thought, oh, I have a trust, so I'm good. And as he aged and realizing that then when he started receiving social security benefits, and we had all these that wasn't the right trust. We we needed that trust for family members or even myself when I pass. But we now needed a different trust to be able to help with housing the child support that is paid to me or to now a soon to be supplemental or special needs trust. And so I think that parents realize too, that as their lives change, whether it be relationship wise or the income or the sources of income change uh, as to what is going to be provided long-term for their loved one, that's when we have to go back and go, wait a minute, I have this trust, but to realize up front that it's almost like uh, shoes, like for us women thinking about that, you know, you're not going to wear stilettos to go work out at the gym, right? Yes, yeah. I have a pair of shoes and, and they're great and they can be worn in the summer and we're working out in the summer, but they're not equipped for the job at hand. So tell us a little bit then about, is there a difference between supplemental or special needs trust? Because I hear those often where they almost sound interchangeable. So can you tell our listeners, are they the same? Is it just difference in acronyms? What is that? 
Yeah, so they are pretty interchangeable. They're technically called a supplemental needs trust, but most folks call them a special needs trust. So the idea behind a supplemental or a special needs trust, again, they are interchangeable, but the idea is that they're actually supplemental because they're supplementing things, not supplanting. Because the idea is that we want this to keep those benefits. We're using a supplemental needs trust to protect benefits. To and so help and, and not replace is your Correct. Point. We don't okay. want to replace them. We want to supplement them. So the purpose of this is to help that individual improve their quality of life, make sure that they've got the things that they need because the reality of somebody being able to live off of $783 is pretty grim. Um, un- very unrealistic. And I say that anybody who can live off of $783 is a magician because that's what it requires is a little bit of magic, a whole lot of creativity and some help from your friends, you know, and a supplemental needs trust can be that friend that gets to help you out. And yeah. I was fixing to say, and probably a heck of a lot of coupon clipping. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, all of the coupon clipping. Right, right. You know, um, and our goal at the Ark of Texas and at the Master Pooled Trust is always to take quality of life into consideration and put it at the forefront. We want individuals to be able to have that, that quality of life and the supplemental needs trust allows you to do that. And so yes, supplemental and special needs are interchangeable, but the reality is, is think of this as a supplement to what benefits that individual is getting. And so that's why it's technically called a supplemental needs trust. Nobody calls it that though. Almost everybody calls it a special needs trust. Okay, well, and that's what it was kind of confusing at some point because you're just like wanting to make sure that there's not a significant variable or difference in the, the definition. So if it's used for that purpose, then then what exactly, what items or property, you know, what is placed in a special needs trust? So really almost anything can be placed in a special needs trust, depending on what your situation is, depending on what your means are. You know, a lot of us are uh, worth more dead than we are alive. We've got life insurance policies. We've got a 401k or something that can be accessed at that point. You know, we've got things that maybe we've got a home that we want to place in it. So you can put money, you can put home, you can put land. In Texas, we have a lot of folks who do like mineral rights. You know, you maybe you have some mineral rights from years ago that great grandparent passed down. And now all of a sudden your kid with a disability has an interest in an oil well somewhere in West Texas. And you're like, oh, what do I do with this? Actual items. So jewelry, uh, other kinds of like physical things that you might have. Land, you know, we deal sometimes again, somebody is like a they own a fourth of a piece of land out in the middle of nowhere that at one point wasn't worth anything but now is worth something and so making sure that you can put anything that is is of value that could be considered an asset for Medicaid or Social Security purposes so there's what's called exempt assets and an exempt asset includes a supplemental needs trust so anything that's held in a supplemental needs trust is an exempt asset so it's invisible if you will for social security purposes. And, you know, an individual can own one home, they can own one car, and that is still okay. It's those two things are exempt assets. But if you have more than one home, 
if you have more than one car. Those things are now assets that can be counted for Social Security and Medicaid purposes. And for most programs, and for SSI specifically, you can't have more than $2,000 in assets. So if you have a second car that's worth $5,000, then that now kicks you out of being eligible for those benefits. So you can place all of those types of things into a special needs trust so that they're no longer considered an asset for Social Security and Medicaid. Well, and I'll tell you that as you were talking over the list of items that would be placed or be beneficial to place in a special needs or supplemental needs trust, um, it made me think about two years ago, almost, or it has been two years now, that uh, Jacob's dad had a massive heart attack and he was 50 years old. So we would not have expected that by any stretch of the imagination. And this may sound harsh and it may sound grim, but and again, we're great friends and he always thinks about his children. And so as he's getting all the assessments from the cardiologist and the thoracic surgeon and all of these things, I'm going, oh crap. I'm like, Gary, your life insurance policy with work? Because you know, people don't think about when their employment changes. Mm-hmm. that when they put and divide up who the beneficiary is of those small, and they may not think it's a big deal because it may be 50000 that their company is giving them as like a, a give me life insurance. And so if you're listing your children, you know, your dependents going down as being the beneficiaries and thinking, oh, I'm fair and equitable. I'm dividing it up three ways, right? So something happens. And they're thinking this is small. The reality is it could be detrimental or $17,000 in a gift or a benefit from a life insurance policy of a parent can have detrimental effects to the income that's received for somebody that's receiving social security. So as he's gone through his doctors and they're putting a plan of action together and surgery, I was like, wait, I was like, how do you have the benefits done on your life insurance policy? And I wasn't trying to be grim and God bless him because he took it so well. And I, cause I was like, okay, Lord, how do I broach this topic? Because I've just spent how many years and, and getting these services and I don't want to have to redo this or create more paperwork. And God forbid, if something did happen to him, then have to deal with the trauma too of the loss of him from our family and for my children. So I gingerly said, um, could you, put me in touch with your person of benefits at your work. And can we go online and get the login to where I can change that it says the trust of Jacob needs one of our friends, uh, that's her last name, but that Jacob needs meaning what our son needs. And so I said, can we get the login and fix it? And so his surgery literally was put off like 24 hours longer because we had to make that adjustment. And thankfully, he is someone that is caring and understanding, and he understood the magnitude. But it was that moment of, oh, dear God, you know, we just had to do something in a reactive strategy because that little thing of going back to that employer or changing jobs, that small give me, you know, of life insurance could have been more of a takeaway than a give me. Absolutely. And that's, you said you needed a timeline earlier. And what I tell families is you need to do this early. You need to do this as early as you possibly can, because exactly the situation that you're talking about, 
you know, as parents, you almost every parent of a child with a disability that I talk to says, I just want to outlive my kid because I don't want them to, you know, I don't know what their life is going to look like without me. But the reality is, is that we don't choose when we get to die. It happens. You know, we don't always make that choice as to when that's going to happen. And so situations such as the one that you all were in really opens up your eyes to say, if parents get in a car accident and your kid is five years old, they may not be getting benefits right now, but when they're 25, they're probably going to need benefits. And so if you don't plan for this appropriately, you don't have that special needs trust that your life insurance is, you know, the, that it's the beneficiary on your life insurance or it's the beneficiary on you know, your retirement plans, things like that. Um, those are the things that people tend to forget about. They're like, oh, it's okay. I'll just leave it to my kid. Well, then that's when you're going to be calling me and saying, hey, I have this money. I've got to figure out something to do with it because we didn't plan appropriately. And so that's important. And, and it's also about talking to grandparents, huge on grandparents, aunts and uncles, even, you know, friends who may want to leave your child something Make sure they don't, they're leaving it to a special needs trust and not to the individual direct, because those are the things that are going to impact those public benefits that you want to make sure that child still has. When they're grieving, dealing with the loss of you as a parent, you sure as heck don't want to upend their way of life because they've lost their benefits because you didn't plan appropriately. And that sounds awful because I feel like it, it becomes a, a scare you tactic, but I really do recommend that you do it absolutely as soon as possible. The third party special needs trust. So that's your money that you're going to set aside for your loved one. That needs to be done early on. It needs to be included in your will. It needs to be included in your life insurance policy. It needs to be included in grandparents or any other loved one's wills or life insurance policy that they want to leave money to your loved one. They need to be making sure that they have that right language as well. And you were so knowledgeable to know that, but a lot of families don't. And so I get that phone call that says, hey, I just got this life insurance policy from you know, my dad. Now I need to figure out what to do with it. And that changes what trust it has to go in. It changes a lot of things about that money. And so you want to make sure that you're planning for that appropriately so that there is no disruption in benefits and you're not having to do all that paperwork again, or somebody else isn't having to do all that paperwork again that may not have your knowledge and expertise. And so that's why it's super important to make sure that you've got you know, those beneficiaries listed correctly on everything. Check them all. Well, and I think now too, so you just touched on when we're talking about the trusts and the type of trusts that families need when you have a loved one with a disability. Um, what I have learned now and then the support from the conversations I've had with you is that I did a good job when he was little getting the third party trust set up. However, needing to have a special needs trust that, and I want you to touch on this, but that is a self-settled trust was a revelation to me. And I think that because when I, I started doing all this, I, I did it when Jake was younger. So I thought I had my T's and T's crossed and I's dotted, right? Because I thought I was planning ahead. However, families that have been on waiver lists and are waiting and haven't applied yet for social security, or maybe they've applied and they keep getting knocked down for that moment in time, whether it's because of where the child, the assets, the age, whatever it be, that they're encountering barriers repeatedly, that they don't realize 
that it's not just needing one trust, <laughs> it's needing two trust and it's two different types of trust. And whereas you may not need the second one when the kids are itty bitty and they're not receiving social security, you definitely will need that second trust when they are receiving benefits and they are adults and their income, maybe they have income coming in. I know that one of the things you and I have talked about is with this surge of individuals being diagnosed with autism for the last two decades, which was seeing more children uh, receiving this diagnosis, it is becoming more and more common for divorces to state in the court order that child support goes on indefinitely or that there is a large fiscal appropriation for the child, whether it's after 18 or so on. And so I think that most families where they feel like that they may have planned together, maybe that wasn't a decision together, the custodial parent feels like there's been a victory in ensuring that there's some kind of fiscal support. I don't think that they're always going to think about what does that look like? So tell us what is the difference? So a third party trust and a self-settled trust, what is the difference between the two? Yeah. So a third party trust is a third party's money that is going to benefit an individual with a disability. This is the one that you have set up. This is the one that you use with your will, with your life insurance policy. This is the one that you use when you get divorced and they say you have to have a life insurance policy that the child or that the spouse is, or the ex-spouse is the beneficiary of. You're going to use that with those types of things. It's your life insurance policy. It's what you have in your will that says all, everything I have left is going to go to my kids equally. Well, you want to make sure that that one goes to that third party special needs trust. So this is your money that you're setting aside for your loved one. So Nana, so anybody, Nana, grandpa, grandma, the mineral rights, the kitchen sink, if I've got more than one of them, (laughs) the cars, those would all be appropriated and assigned to the third party trust. That's correct. And one of the things that I I will say that I, I try to tell folks is have that third party trust outside of your will, have it separate from your will, because if you haven't passed away, and somebody else needs to put money in that special needs trust, that special needs trust doesn't exist yet. It exists within your will, but it's not its own separate document. So unless your will has been probated, that trust doesn't exist. So you want to make sure that that trust is actually separate from your will. Your will is going to say, I want things to be left to that trust, but make sure that it's actually outside of your will. Okay. So on that note, I'm going to throw this in there. So Tell me if this is correct. When the third party trust is separate and outside of the will, meaning it's it's breathing, it's an entity already, right? right? You don't necessarily have to set up a bank account yet if there's no funds going into it, right? Correct. So you it's living, it's breathing, it's alive. So you could though, at any point in time, once monies are going to go through the trust, then to set the bank account up. However, you still, if it's a trust, have to file a report annually 
from a tax standpoint that there was no activity, correct? So only until once it's funded. So once you actually fund a trust is when you're going to need to check with your CPA to see if taxes needs to be filed. So once there's money in the trust, that's when it actually becomes an entity, if you will. So yes, it exists, but until you actually have money in that trust, you most likely are not going to have to pay any kind of tax on it because there's nothing to pay taxes on or to file a report on. So that just existing doesn't mean that you have to file taxes. It's just going to be once you place money in there, then it needs to have its own, it has its own tax return that's filed because it's its own entity. It will have its own EIN. And so you actually have to go to, to the IRS, request a tax identification number for that entity itself. That's when you start paying taxes on it and all that. So it can be a living, breathing thing before you're actually putting any money in it, which is what you want. You want it to be living and breathing um, without money in it until you need it. Then that's when you're going to have to start doing those things. So as trustee, that would be your role if you are serving as trustee or whomever is serving as trustee. And I think that what you said makes sense too, because for me, I have a mother that she has some disabilities. And before when she was on disability, different payments, I had it set up to where if something happened to the kids and there was life insurance money and that they weren't there to receive it, that part of that would go to her. And it was uh, triggered by the event, her trust, special needs trust, was triggered to go into effect if something happened to me, if the children weren't here. So there were like three different things that had to happen. And then at that point, then it became an entity and could be set up with the bank. So yeah, yeah, it can exactly. get confusing to people, especially when you have more than one loved one that yeah. you're, you're looking at providing for. Absolutely. Now on a third party trust, let me ask this. So if you have an individual that, and I've wondered about this because we've had families have talked about where maybe they'll make different arts and crafts and different things to where instead of selling them, that people could provide a donation or a gift for what they were given. So have you seen that? And in those circumstances, would the monies then be considered a gift and that that could go into a third party trust? So that gets complicated. There's a lot of pieces that come into that. So, you know, we'll see things like GoFundMe pages, even things yes. along those lines. Yes. Those can all be considered third party money, but it has to be paid directly to the trust Got it. and not to the individual. Because if it goes to the individual and if it's meant for the individual versus it's meant for the trust, then you've got some different things. The good thing is, is we have ABLE accounts now too, which are another cool thing, which we can talk about on on another episode. I won't get into that now. Um, But those are actually cool things to be able to use with those types of things as well, is to be able to say, hey, we can put this money over in an ABLE account for this individual to use as well. But that brings us into the self-settled trust piece. So if it's money that is the individual's money, the individual with a disability's money, it has to go into a self-settled trust or a first party trust. And so it's whose money is it? It's not who is holding the money, but it's whose money is this actually for? So was this the individual's money? So is it income from working? Was it a gift that somebody gave the person directly? Was it, uh, you know, we deal with a lot of lawsuit settlements. 
SSI back payments. So you were talking earlier about those folks who like have applied and they keep getting denied and they keep getting denied. Well, sometimes they'll go back and say, Hey, we actually should have given it to you the first time. And so now we're going to give you a back payment. Well, then you have a certain amount of time to spend the back payment. You can only spend it on certain things and things like that, but you can put it in a self-settled trust. So the self-settled trust, this is where you and I got to start talking on, is the self-settled trust is what is the individual's money. And when an individual turns 18 or 22, it kind of depends on whether they're in school, whether they're not in school, things along those lines. But at 18, the individual starts getting their SSI on their own. It's based on their income. It is based on their substantial gainful activity, which means can that person work and make enough money that they don't need SSI? And so that's where a lot of folks with disabilities uh, end up getting SSI. And so one thing that is counted is child support. And so if child support, when you're talking about getting divorced, when you're talking about that ongoing lifelong child support that's going to be coming in at 18, that can become that individual's money. The individual with a disability, that is their money now. doesn't matter if it's being paid to you as a parent. Social security counts that as income to the individual. And that's where these self-settled trusts come into play. That's where you're going to say, okay, I need to have this self-settled trust for the court to order that those funds are being paid directly to a self-settled trust so that it's not counted as income to the individual with a disability. Their SSI and their Medicaid are not affected because that money isn't theirs, it's the trust's. And so that's how you're able to sort of um, work within the system to be able to make sure you're still getting those supplemental funds that were coming as child support into a trust and still be able to be used for the benefit of that individual without reducing their SSI pay. So up until or before 18, then at that point, then it's still just considered child support. And you're saying that typically at 18, because that's whenever social security can be pursued on their own merit, because technically they're an adult, then that's where we see it switch. Now, how is it determined? And I may be asking a more detailed question that we'll have to dig into Social Security, but how is it determined between 18 or 22 as far as the child still being considered a student? Because if you have a loved one with a disability, quite often, as in the situation of autism, either one of two things, the school district is still providing services up until through their age of 21, up until almost 22. And so they typically aren't able to go to college and some are, I mean, but, but when we look at this, is that considered still that time period to where it would still be considered child support because they enrolled in school? And then, and if we don't know the answer to this question, I'll be excited for us to find out. So then what if your child is impaired? And in our situation, the school district uh, that he was in at that time did not choose to provide the resources he needed to attempt to continue with his education. And we were in a position where we felt like for his safety and well-being, we had to move him. When we moved him, he continued to receive therapy, intensive therapy, and still is. So he was in a situation of therapy that had to do from a medical perspective, but with learning. And I'm curious if 
that area has been redefined as to what education is and what the limitations are. Because I could see for us, that four years makes a big difference for someone or for a family of child support being considered child support and not unearned income. You know, my understanding is that they have to be enrolled as a full-time student in a school. So it would either be in even continuing education, um, I think is, is included in there. But unfortunately, I know enough about social security to be dangerous, but try to give folks as much information as possible. And so you and I shared the palms, which is this great, huge, um, <laughs> luckily it is now online, manual that Social Security uses to be able to determine whether or not somebody uh, is eligible. But my understanding is they do have to be enrolled as a full-time student in order for them to be considered, for it to go up to the age of 22. So I don't know that because your school was not doing what they were supposed to do, in my opinion, that you could potentially make the argument to Social Security who knows what social security would do. Right, that's kind of, right. that's my answer oftentimes is that think you know what's supposed to happen with social security, but it doesn't always. And so that's where you just want to be careful. And honestly, what I would do because everyone's situation is different and because everyone is in everyone's income, everyone's assets look a little bit different. What I would recommend is that as you're going to apply for, for social security, talk to them about your situation. Talk to them and say, here's what's going on. They're in school. They're not in school. Does this count? I will tell you right now. It doesn't even matter what they tell you because the first person that you talk to might tell you one thing and then somebody later tells you a different thing. Potentially try to get it in writing from someone that tells you sort of what the direction is. I honestly recommend that if it's at 18, put it in the special needs trust just be safe. I would rather you be safe than sorry, because you know you're still going to need it. No matter what, you're still going to need it long term. So I do recommend going ahead and putting those funds into a self-settled special needs trust. But getting as much information as you can from Social Security in writing is always important. And anyone you talk to, make sure you take down their information, know who it is that you talk to, because everyone that you talk to at Social Security will give you a different answer. So Fantastic. Well, that is great information. And I think that our listeners are going to be thrilled with getting the information, having a better understanding of what and when. And I think that with this episode that we will wrap up, we are going to have Haley back and we're going to dig a little deeper and look at what the resources are when we're looking at the self-settled trust and we're looking at how that works symbiotically with an ABLES account. And so we'll talk about some of the functions in our next episode of how the ABLES account could be paired and what does that look like in Texas with its relationship to either a self-settled account or even a third-party account to find out what are the do's and don'ts. So we'll come back in our next episode and provide that information. And so for this episode, we have a great resource. Haley has a wonderful handout that we're going to include on our page that goes through and gives a detailed explanation about what the master pool trust is that the ARC of Texas offers. Also information about traditional trusts and what the defining factors are with a self-settled trust. So we've enjoyed you being with us today and go to connectedwithmica.com and hit us up on Facebook, Instagram. We are on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. 
So share information about what we have. We hope to be a resource for many families to come. And Haley, we've enjoyed having you today. And this is just great information because I know that so many families and parents hit their head in the wall <laughs> over this topic. And so this has been a pleasure having you and getting to uh, share this valuable and much needed information with our listeners. And we look forward to having you back and digging a little deeper about how all of these pieces connect and what it means with the ABLE account. And even though we're talking Texas, here's the thing, the ABLE account is set up for many states. So this will be valuable information in the next episode that's gonna help our listeners across the country. So thank you so much for being here today and we look forward to having you back. Thank you for having me. Fantastic, take care. Again, this is Micah with Connected with Micah and we look forward to having you tune in again with us. Bye-bye.